You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Today, I want to talk to you from the Bible. Um, I want to look at the book of Jonah. Um, now, when I say the word Jonah, uh, I would imagine for some of us, the first thing that comes to mind is the whale. The whale. Yes, Jonah and the whale. And you might wonder um, whether I got lost this morning on the way to this platform, and maybe I should have been going up to Hero Factory, because Jonah is the kind of story that we all sort of know and we probably at some level think would belong in the kids' room because who doesn't love a story about a man who gets swallowed by, um, it's not actually a whale, but large fish that we presume is a whale. But, um, you know, this story has with it, you could say, the curse of familiarity in that we think we know the story so well that everything that you hear now will, will kind of form into a pre-defined uh, groove in our minds. But I just want to encourage you today to to have an open mind as we go through this story because I think it is a really powerful message for us today. Uh, But Jonah is one of the 12 minor prophets. And um, by minor, that doesn't mean that he is less important. It just means that his book was smaller than the likes of Isaiah, which is quite a long book, for for example. But he's one of 12 minor prophets. Uh, His book is four chapters long, but these chapters are quite small. So there's 48 verses in the book of Jonah. So it's the kind of book that you could read in less than 10 minutes. But I just want to give you a little bit of background before we go into reading the book, or some of the book. Jonah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, is very concerned with the nation of Israel. In some ways, what God did through Israel was like a foreshadowing, a little bit of a taste for what God had planned to do through the world and through the church. Now, Israel as a nation started with a man named Abraham, all the way back in the book of Genesis. And Abraham received a promise from God that he was going to have a child. Now, the problem was his wife was 90 years old. She was old. And who knows that old people don't have children? True. I mean, it's getting older nowadays, but I don't see it getting into the, the 90s. You see, this nation had a miraculous origin because God gave a 90-year-old lady a baby. And you know, God commanded a blessing onto Abraham's descendants. This is what he says in Genesis 12, verse 1. It said, Go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. He says, I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this is the bit I want you to hold on to before we move on. And he says to Israel, he says to Abraham, to all of his descendants, all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. 
This was the founding statement of the nation of Israel. It was their purpose that the whole world will be blessed through them. There's a biblical principle there that whenever we're blessed, we are blessed in order to be a blessing. You see, what, what happened though is, I think it's fair to say that Israel became embroiled with its own concerns. See, the purpose was that they would be a light to the nations. I blessed you so that you could go and bless others. It's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes when we receive the word of God, sometimes we can like twist it a little out of convenience. You see, maybe the Israelites, and I think this is what kind of happened, is they were sort of saying to God, hey God, how about you bless us and forget about the others? I think that's a place that they had got to. You see, they were meant to have a, a special relationship with God for the purposes of others. But what had happened is they'd started to develop an exclusive relationship with God. You see, God was, in their minds, their God. And they weren't so keen on sharing him with other nations. They had become a little bit nationalistic. Now, the purpose of the prophets, because Jonah is a prophet. We're going to get on to Jonah now. But the purpose of the prophets was to listen to God and to bring the voice of God to the nation, to keep the nation of Israel on task. You see, the nation of Israel was to be a blessing. They were to speak up for the poor. They were to speak up for the widow. They were to come up and speak out against injustice. And the job of the prophets was to call the nation to a better standard. So I want to tell the story of Jonah. And as we go, let's figure, let's, let's decide ourselves how well we think Jonah does with this task. So we're going to jump straight into chapter 1 of Jonah. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went Tarshish. If you keep saying that in repeat, it's one of those tongue twisters. I'll not do it. But it says, he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I just pause a moment and give you some geography for context. There's going to be a little map comes up on the screen. See, Jonah lived in North Israel. You can kind of see that there. And he was told to go to Nineveh, which is in modern-day Iraq. It's the city of Mosul, which is about 700 miles to the east, in Assyria, a place that wasn't his country, a place that wasn't particularly friendly with Israel, a place where you would be scared to go, not the nicest of places. God's saying to them, go tell them that I'm not pleased with them. Go tell them to turn from their ways and call them to repentance. You see, God was asking Jonah to do precisely the kind of thing that the nation of Israel should be doing. In other words, be a blessing to the other nations. But Jonah was like, I am not a missionary. I am not going to Germany. No, I am not going to Nineveh. 
Just imagine when I was thinking about this, just imagine Pete Heslop stood in the airport looking at the departures board and just picking a flight that he more preferred to get onto. But this was exactly what Jonah was meant to be doing. But where did Jonah go? He got on a ship and he went to that place that I'm not going to say. You see, that was 2,500 miles away, not including stops along the way. You see, this map really was, was the known world at that time. In other words, what he's saying is, I am going to the ends of the earth to avoid going to where God has asked me to do. Beyond that is the Atlantic Ocean, and he would have had no concept of that. Literally going to the ends of the earth to avoid God. You know, and the Hebrews, the Israelites, they weren't even a seafaring people. They were people of the land. You see, that Jonah is going to extreme measures to get away from the plans of God. I'm going to pick up in verse 4. It says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. A violent storm came against the ship, and it threatened to break up. The sailors were afraid, so each one cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let's cast lots. Figure out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Um, he said, this, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? What have you done? For they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. It says the, tea, the, the, sea, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? It says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. It's very dramatic, isn't it? And it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did all their, their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder and wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging seas went calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Now we're not going to read all of chapter two, but I will say this. Chapter two is Jonah's prayer. See, he's in the belly of a fish, and he starts to pray I would encourage you to go and read it in your own time, but it is a beautiful prayer. It's a stunning prayer. And who knows that when, when you're in a bad situation, it's often then that we pray the best prayers, right? But I would encourage you, don't leave it until you are, you are in the middle of a sea and a whale swallows you to pray. Don't wait till trouble comes to cry out to God. 
But jumping on to verse 10, chapter 2, verse 10. He's had his three nights, his three days in the belly of a whale. I'm sure he's done some thinking. And it says, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Little side note at this point. I'm told that whale vomit, when I say I'm told, I have Googled. I'm told that whale vomit has a fecal odor. But I'm also told that it's used in the perfume industry. So, you know, there's, there's a contrast. Poo into perfume. But there you go. But he was vomited onto dry land. And here we have chapter 3. This is one to set the scene. Jonah's on the beach. He's had the experience like no other. He's been inside a whale. He's been vomited out. And God comes to him again. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the, the message I give you. It says, Jonah obeyed. You, I think you would, wouldn't you? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a large city. It took him three days to go through it. Verse 4, Jonah began doing a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be over." Now, in the Hebrew, in the original language, this sermon that he preached was five words. Five word sermon. Is anybody here just wishing today that maybe you went to a church where they did five word, word sermons? Maybe, maybe not. But I think he's missed some critical bits out of his sermon. You see, he's gone with judgment, but he hasn't gone with hope. He hasn't given them an opportunity to respond. He didn't invite the band up to the stage and say, now it's time for the, now it's time for the altar call. You know, side note, Jesus even mentions Jonah's preaching in the New Testament. And he refers to himself and he says, they even responded to Jonah. Don't you think they will respond to me even in an even greater manner? But this is, this is the amazing thing. You know, Jonah gives this five-word sermon. It says the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. It's a symbol of repentance. I'm, I'm going to summarize the next bit. But the, when Jonah's warning reached a king, he took off his clothes, and he put on sackcloth, and he issued a proclamation to the whole of Nineveh that they were going to repent, and that they were going to turn to the Lord. And he, he started this fast. And the fast even included the animals, you know, Jonah was preaching so badly, but God was moving so well that even the animals started to repent. And they covered the animals with sackcloth. Just imagine these cows just going around covered in, in sackcloth, just looking like repentant. I don't know. See, he was hopeful that God may relent and with compassion and have compassion towards him. From verse 10, it says, God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented, and he did not bring the destruction he had threatened. Just remember back to the purpose of Israel. All the nations will be blessed through you. Chapter 4, we're nearly there. Verse 1 says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to stop by going to Tarshish. I knew 
You are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. Take away my, where am I? For it is better for me to die than to live. A little bit of an overreaction. I don't know, don't know what you think. But God does some more explaining to Jonah, and we're not going to read it. You can read it later, but he, he gives him a bit of an object lesson with a plant and a worm, and he, he kind of works on Jonah, and he tries to, to explain it to him. And yet again, Jonah still says he was even more angry, and he was still suicidal, saying to God, take my life. I wish I was dead. And this is what the final verse of the book of Jonah, God's final words to Jonah, he says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So we have this prophet who, first off, he's disobedient, then he's obedient, but we've got this weird thing going on that he preaches this rubbish sermon, and the whole city gets saved, and he should be happy, but he's not happy. What is going on in this book? I want to bring out three points in the time I've got left to just help us understand a little bit what might be going on and see what challenge we can take from it today. But the first point is this, is that God calls us to have a heart of obedience. You know, everything and everyone in the book of Jonah is perfectly obedient except Jonah. You know, the wind was obedient the waves were obedient. The, the pagan sailors were obedient. The fish was obedient. It vomited on command. <laughs> Nineveh was obedient. The animals in Nineveh were obedient. The plant was obedient. The worm was obedient. But the prophet was disobedient. Now, there's, in the, throughout the prophets in the Old Testament, you have this phrase that keeps coming up. It says, the word of the Lord came to... And you fill in the blank with the name of the prophet. You know, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he went the other way. You know, there's a history of prophets doing outrageous, crazy things for God. You know, the word of the Lord came to Samuel and anoint a new king, and he did. It came to Elijah, pronounce a drought, very unpopular. Opposed King Ahab, even more unpopular. He came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, and he said, here I am, send me. It came to Jeremiah, and, you know, Jeremiah put a, a wooden yoke on his back, around his neck. It gets even more interesting. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. He said, eat that scroll, and he did. <laughs> he said, lie on your side for 390 days, and he did. The word of the Lord even said to Ezekiel, bake a cake and cook it using a fire that you've made out of human poo. Ezekiel said, surely not, God, that would be unclean. He said, okay, then use cow poo instead. And he did it. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, said, marry a prostitute. There's a whole other story there we don't have time to go into. But prophets have this thing about being obedient to crazy, radical stuff. And we would love to sit here and go, Jonah, bad prophet. But if we are honest, if I'm honest, there's probably more Jonah than Ezekiel in us. There's probably more Jonah than Isaiah in us that says, here I am, Lord, send me. And you might be thinking here today, God hasn't sent me anywhere. 
He's not told me to go to Nineveh. But there's so much stuff that the Lord has told us in our word, in his word. And I wonder, how obedient are we to what he's told us to do? You know, when Jonah did obey, he did it very, very reluctantly. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Eugene Peterson, in his book on Jonah, he says that Jonah was worse when he was obedient than he was when he was disobedient, which is is quite a compliment, isn't it? It says, he obeys to the letter, but he betrays the Spirit. You know, and I'm just challenged that I think God doesn't just want our activity for him. He wants our heart. He doesn't want us to just be in the right places at the right time, but he wants us to have a good heart in, in and amongst it. That's a challenge to all of us, to me. God, would you renew our hearts? Give us that right focus. But I think there's, there's more to this story. You see, what I love about this story is that even when Jonah was disobedient, God showed himself to be 100% consistent throughout. You know, we serve a God who's faithful when we are faithless. We serve a God who is true to his word. And I just pray over us today that, you know, in our wavering, in our highs, in our lows, in our obedience or our disobedience, in our Jonah moments, or maybe even in our Isaiah moments or our Ezekiel moments, just pray that the faithfulness and the the consistency of God would surround us and go before us. It's so good that we're standing on that on that promise today, that that wherever we go, whatever we do, whether we mess up, whether we get it wrong, we can always trust in the consistency and the faithfulness of God. The second point is this. I believe that God calls us to cross barriers. God calls us to cross barriers. I want to give a very quick mention to another passage but the first time Jonah's mentioned in the Bible, it's not in the book of Jonah, it's, it's in the book of Kings. And you see, in, the, in this mention in the book of Kings, we're not going to go there for time. But the king was doing evil. The people were doing evil. And the prophet Amos was speaking to the, to the king and to the people. And he was saying some pretty bad things about what the people were doing. See, Jonah's own nation was doing evil. And what we read in that passage is that Jonah was kind of encouraged that the the nation was being blessed. He was prophesying for the nation. He wasn't challenging them. He wasn't speaking out against the evil. So in that context, Jonah was prophesying extension of the kingdom of Israel. You know, see, I say that to say this, that you see, Jonah didn't seem to have a problem about evil amongst his own people whilst God was blessing them. See, God was blessing his nation. God was blessing his own people, even though they were doing evil. And Jonah didn't seem to have a problem with that. But Jonah did seem to have a problem when God decided that he wanted to bless Nineveh. You know, there's something of the the New Testament in this, treat others the way you would want to be treated. You see, there was evil in Israel. Jonah seemed to be okay with it. There was evil in another nation. Jonah definitely wasn't okay with it. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah flees to the end of the earth. Eventually, he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches that five-word message. 
He preaches so badly, it's almost like he didn't want them to repent. They definitely responded better than he was preaching. You know, they seriously repent. And I have never in my life spoken to a preacher who's complained at the end of a message that too many people complained. But I'm introducing you today to Jonah. He was furious. He wasn't just furious. The Bible says he was suicidal. He said, it's better for me to die than live. And God tells him, I actually really quite care for, for Nineveh. I've got compassion for Nineveh. And why shouldn't I? There's 120,000 people live there. But what is wrong with Jonah? You see, I think what was wrong with Jonah is he was comfortable operating in a, as a prophet within his own nation. Sorry, just a moment. Within his own national borders. But he wasn't comfortable extending the blessing of God to his enemies. He was a prophet on a mission, but he wasn't on God's mission. Remember, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. He wasn't happy that God blessed others. And I guess for us maybe today, there's a challenge in this that we are not just called to people like us. We're not just called to people that look like us, agree with us. And I've got a little hula hoop here. You might be wondering what this is here for. But the world is full of barriers. I'm definitely not going to going to do the hula hoop. But the world is full of barriers that are kind of exposed, imposed upon us. You know, the world says to us, you've got to keep your religion within the private realm, within your barrier. But I think God is saying to us today, no, we've got to arise. We've got to go to Nineveh. We've got to take the blessing that God has deposited within our zone and take it elsewhere, out of the private sphere. You might feel, I would have held that, but I just can't quite focus on everything. You can just imagine it. You might feel today that you're comfortable doing this God thing within the walls of the church, but God's saying, hey, I want to break down that barrier. I want you to take the blessing that you've received, take it across the barrier, take it to Nineveh, take it to wherever you need to take it. You might say, I'm comfortable talking about God with people who look like me, think like me, are the same as me, agree with me. But again, I think the challenge of God today would be to take the blessing beyond the barrier. You know, there's barriers within us. There's barriers that's imposed upon us. But the world is full of barriers. I'll name a few. Don't want to go into all the detail, but social class can be a barrier. Economic status can be a barrier. Employment status, race, ethnic group, language, styles, political affiliations, and more besides. But I think God would say to us today to, hey, take the blessing beyond the barrier. We're not just called to be a people who take the good and just share it amongst people that look like us and are like us. The book of Jonah tells me anything is that God cares about every group, however marginalized. And he, I think God des desires that the church is a place where all kinds of peoples from all kinds of places come together and have a unity around our worship of him. You know, I think heaven is going to be one of the most wonderful, diverse places. There'll be people from Israel. There'll be people from Nineveh. There'll be people across all of our barriers and divides there. 
I want to challenge you today to unleash the blessing that has been given to you. Take it across every barrier that might seem to stand up against you. I've just got some little tips, points of how we take the message of God across the barriers, and then the band are going to join me. The first one is we need to consider what are the barriers that we can cross, and how do we cross them? Second is this, that we need to see every person that might seem on the other side of a barrier with compassion. See the image of God in everyone. Now, I think God was illustrating this to Jonah so well that everyone responded in Nineveh. Even the animals seemed to have some kind of response. See, see, if we see the image of God in every human being, it's hard to, to hate. It's hard to, to dislike people. Number three, curiosity. We can be curious across the barriers. We can realize that the way we see situations might be different than what other people see situations. We can contemplate. You know, when we're going across barriers, we need to spend some time contemplating, considering, and, and dwelling on how can I reach people in the way that they need to be reached. And the fifth one is Christ. Christ is the reason. He's the reason that we are taking the message across these barriers. Okay, so my final point is this. Um, Jesus, sorry, Jonah points us to Jesus. Jonah points us to Jesus. You know, the Bible has something in it called types, um, where something in the Old Testament serves as a foreshadowing to something in the New Testament. And Jonah in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus in the New Testament. And I kind of want to help you understand this just as we, as we wrap up. You see, types are designed to point us to something. On the Emmaus Road, Jesus said that all of the Old Testament was about him. So when we read the Old Testament, we start to see some foreshadowings of what is to come in the New Testament. See, when we look at Jonah, we see that Jonah was disobedient. But when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus was perfectly obedient, even to death on a cross. When we look at Jonah, Jonah went from Israel to Nineveh reluctantly. But when we look at Jesus, we see a Jesus who came from heaven to earth freely. When we look at Jonah, we see someone who hated crossing boundaries. But when we read of Jesus in the New Testament, we see he was constantly crossing boundaries, constantly crossing social boundaries, constantly crossing ethnic boundaries to bring the kingdom of God everywhere he went. See, Jonah in the Old Testament, he was thrown overboard. He, was, he spent three days, three nights in the belly of a fish. Jesus in the New Testament was crucified and he spent three nights Three days, three nights in a tomb. And that tomb door opened and he came out to bring transformation to the world. Jonah preached five reluctant words and he brought an awakening. He brought a revival in Nineveh. Jesus gave himself. He gave his truth freely and he brought transformation to the whole world. You know, Jonah loved his people. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that maybe he hated his enemies. 
But Jesus, and we're so thankful for this today, Jesus loves all people. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us. And just as we respond today, you know, maybe you feel perhaps that at some point in life you've been disobedient, like Jonah was. Maybe you didn't get thrown off a boat, swallowed by a whale, vomited on the beach. But maybe you do feel like today that you've wandered from the purposes of God. Maybe you're not in the belly of a whale, but maybe today you feel like you're in the wilderness. You know, in the same way that God pursued Jonah, I believe that he can pursue each one of us today. Isn't it amazing that, you know, Jonah, he had his travel plans. I'm, I'm going 2,500 miles that way. He was thrown overboard. But the grace of God, the love of God pursued him. And he found, bizarre method, admittedly. But he pursued him and he found him and he put him back on track. Some of you today might feel far away, far away from the plans of God. But I'd hazard a guess that you're not quite as far away as Jonah was when he was being thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish. You know, I'm confident that if we give our lives to God, that he will do what's necessary to put us back on track, to get us where we need to be. You know, the version of Jonah that I read misses out some, some beautiful language that you get in some of the older versions. But when God first spoke to Jonah, I believe this is going to be our challenge today. He said to him, arise and go to Nineveh. Arise and go to Nineveh. And that word arise, it means literally to, to become powerful, to step into your moment. There was something confirmatory about it. It was God putting his seal of approval onto Jonah. He's saying, it's literally like a standing up. There's a, a you know, rise from your slumber. Stand up to your feet and go. And obviously it says that as soon as Jonah arose and he went down to Joppa and he went down into the bottom of the boat. But our job today, I think, is to arise and to go to Nineveh. We're not going to Iraq or Mosul or whatever. But Nineveh, what does that represent for you? Who does that represent for you? So I'm just going to invite you, if you want to just respond to this message now, let's, let's arise. Let's stand where we are. This is a symbol of we're just saying yes to God, to, to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to go out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to go out of my zone, what, what's comfortable, and out from my people, and to bring the goodness of God wherever it's needed. God, I just pray over each one of us that we would, yeah, as we go to Nineveh, that we would be confident in that you have called us, confident in the fact that you go before us, that you're with us. God, I pray for us, even in our failings, even in, in our waverings and our, and our wanderings, God, I thank you that you are consistent. You are good, you're gracious, you're compassionate. God, I thank you that you pursue us. And God, for anybody today who feels like they've fallen off track, 
God, I pray that you will pursue us now with your still small voice. Speak to us. Point us in the way we ought to go. And help us to do this by the power of your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.